What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is your host of the People's Party, Talib Kweli. This is another fantastic episode of the People's Party. I'm really enjoying being able to connect like-minded individuals, well, even if we're not like-minded, but just creatives and people who care about the culture with each other. Um, give it up for my lovely and talented co-host Jasmine Lee. Jasmine Lee is in the house. We used Yay, to have an audience that used to clap, but now Jasmine has to clap for herself. <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> How you feeling, Jasmine? Uh, I'm 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 making it, man. I'm making it. That's what we're doing. Okay. Here. Well, you look awesome. Thank you. Um, That's all that matters. Today's guest on People's Party. I'm very excited to sit down and talk with my brother today. Um, this man is an entertainer, but he goes far beyond just entertainment. Um, he's not safe. He could have chose to be a safe, saccharine entertainer, but he takes a lot of chances. When he first dropped his first album, um, All I Want Is You, back in 2010, it bubbled for mo- it bubbled for a long time, longer than most debut albums. Um, it was a sleeper hit. The industry wasn't really ready for it when it dropped. His second album, Kaleidoscope Dream, put him on a lot of people's radar. But from there, from, from that time to now, he continued to deepen his artistry, his commitment to the culture, he adds texture and colors to the culture. He gets involved heavily in activist causes, which is something that I really truly appreciate. Ladies and gentlemen, a star and a renegade and an all-around good dude, Miguel is in the house. What's up, Miguel? What's up, brother? How are you? How are you? Thank you for the yeah. very kind intro, man. Welcome. Good to see you. Uh, man, it's great to see you guys. It's great to see you guys. It's always good to see the homies, and, and especially mm-hmm. in the current circumstances where it's a lot harder to connect with people. It's, it's dope. Mm-hmm. It's really dope. How's, how's the family doing out there in Los We're Angeles? Good. Where you at? We're good. I'm here in LA. Uh, I'm born and raised yes, too. Our home is here. Uh, Trying to stay close to the water. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing all right. You know, we're taking it one day at a time. It's a lot going on as we all know. Um, mm-hmm. but we're, but, you know, I think through education and, and through those com- through conversations with, you know, friends and, and, you know, like this one now we're able to, to just sort of share energy and information and, and stay as optimistic, um, and focused on the end goal. So, so no we're in a good place. Now I was going to say, I was listening to Skywalker a lot, getting ready for this interview. And I didn't even realize I had on my Star Wars shirt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, love um, I love that. Are you a Star Wars fan? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, okay. more so than Star Trek. I love Star Trek growing up, but um, more of a Star Wars fan. Okay, word up. Um, our director Steve Vasquez, we who just met. Um, you and him are both California boys who grew up both Mexican American and African American. Um, tell me about that experience, and do you feel like you? fully embody and take ownership of both cultures or is there some sort of conflict? Well, that's a great question. Um, mm. Yeah, my father is from Samora, Michoacan. My mom is a beautiful black woman from here in Inglewood. Mm. Um, they met in Inglewood High, at, at Inglewood High actually. And um, they both raised me to be proud of who I am and my heritage. And, I, and because mm. they were, they, they got divorced at, at, when I was around eight, um, I sort of got to see both sides of, of, of culture, black culture mm-hmm. and, and Mexican culture, Latin culture. And, um, it was interesting growing up trying to figure out where, where to exist, you know, and, mm-hmm. and because I, especially in the nineties, when I grew up, you know, the, the color lines, color lines was a, was a real term, you know, yeah, especially in LA. Yeah. Oh yeah. In LA, it was like, you know, no color lines it was like a big tag, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, I was kind of in the middle and had to figure out how to, you know, be myself all the way through. But, you know, with as you, you know, as you mature, you start to realize that you, you really take pride in who you are. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you wear it with pride and it's a badge of honor. So um, I'm happy to say that now I feel very comfortable just being both, you know, being mm-hmm. 
black and Mexican, being Mexican yeah. and black. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I represent for both. I'm, I'm proud to be both. No doubt. Um, one of my personal pet peeves is when people criticize me by saying, why can't you just do what normal people do? Why can't you just do the normal way? Or like when people try to criticize like all what they try to call alternative lifestyles, like if they're talking about gay people, they'd be like, why is that? Why are they not living normal? And and you have a oh song, um, What's Normal Anyway? And there's a lyric, um, too proper for the black kids, too black for the Mexicans. What's, uh, you know, what? You know, give me that. Give me the rest of that lyric. Do you can you can you rattle it off? Yeah, yeah. Good looks. Too proper for the black kids. Too black for the Mexicans. Too square to be a hood nigga. What's right. normal anyway? You know. Right. I mean, you got some bars, like because I know you hang out with a lot of rappers. We gonna we gonna get into that. Um, but <laughs> but um, I mean, I like to say that I'm not normal. I'm exceptional. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite my favorite artist you know, throughout time found a way to really give a real sense of their perspective and like their human experience in their music. Mm-hmm. And I, and honestly, like, I think, I think black people, black artists have always had a, just been exceptional, as you said, at really explaining the perspective and where they come from and mm-hmm. listening to hip hop and being raised a lot, you know, through hip hop uh, and hip hop music. And that's always stuck with me. And, I guess writing that song, it was it was me wanting to take all of the things that I love about hip hop and go, how do I make that? How do I do that in my way? And so that was pretty much just me just saying, hey, this is this is my experience. This is where I come from. This is how I've 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 come to love and accept myself, understanding that yeah, I am too square to be a hood nigga. Understanding that I was too proper, you know, in these circumstances and too black. Um, you know, our, our dark skin to be part mm. of the Mexicans and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, it was just about, it, it was just about the culture that I had learned on how to ex- express myself, you know, through music and what's meaningful and what made me connect to music and just trying to do that for myself. So yeah, I appreciate that she picked that out. That's, that's, that's dope. Bro. No doubt, no doubt. You've called your tattoos mementos in the past. Uh, talk to me about the Aristotle tattoo you have and what's the significance um, to you. Oh yeah, I have um, Aristotle across, across from shoulder to shoulder. La excelencia no es un acto, sino un habito. Um, I, I wrote it in Spanish. Spanish right, and um, that means excellence is not an act, but a habit. And you know, all Bars. of us are. Man, I mean Aristotle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're all standing on the on the shoulders of giants. Um, and that really just stuck with me as a reminder because. You know, we're, we're, we see like all of these examples. I think of Kobe, you know, I think of Jordan. I think of, I mean, the people that are, that are, you know, behind me, all of them were excellent. Um, but it wasn't something that, that just landed on, on them. They weren't excellent from the beginning. They decided mm-hmm. that they were going to do something and apply themselves in that direction. And it was the habit of being excellent and demanding excellence from themselves that, they were able to push through and become leaders and, and to, to really make a mark and leave a mark. And mm. um, I always think about that. I think about it. I think mm. about artists like you, Talib. I think about all of the artists Thank that you. I grew up listening to, you know, Blackstar, listening to Most Def, listening to, you know, just, just so many. Obviously, like the people that, that and artists that I think people um, relate me to, you know, I, I look up to, obviously to Prince, to mm. Michael, Stevie, Donnie Hathaway, I love, you know, we're talking about Hendrix, we're talking about all these people were, mm-hmm. they were day in, day out, they love their craft and they, and they made it a habit to be excellent. And that's, that's what it's right. about. That's what it's about. Yes. That's right. It's definitely about excellence. Um, mm-hmm. You came in the game with an excellent squad. Tell me about Drop Squad. Oh people man, who don't know. Drop Squad. Yeah, yeah, Drop Squad. Damon Crawford, Ish, mm-hmm. Ishmael. Big shout out to my guys. They, they met me when I was sixteen. I must have been mm-hmm. sixteen years old, and um, I was writing songs, and I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a, an ind- you know, not an independent, a, a solo artist. And at the time, the music game, the business of music, was a very different. It looked different, sounded different, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, it wasn't really, you know, a lot of the executives that I had met whom they introduced me to and took mm-hmm. my music to uh, and helped develop. 
um, they just couldn't really wrap their minds around someone who looked like me, you know, mm -hmm. who sounded like me and who wanted to make music that didn't really sound like what was happening at the time. But those right. guys believed in me from the beginning. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to be able to see something, see something raw and see what it could be. And those guys, mm -hmm. they had the vision, you know, they, they had that vision and they were able to help develop my skills and give me a safe and, and, and um, reliable place that I could, I could learn and hone my own skills. So right. I learned a lot from those guys. I owe a lot of my music knowledge to those guys. Um, you also came in a game, you, you met Blue in high school, right? And um, yeah, yeah. you were very yeah. featured prominently on the Blue and Exile Below the Heavens album. That album yes. for me holds a special place in my heart because it was the first, I heard myself in that album. Um, mm. when, I, when I saw Blue and Exile doing, I was like, that's me in high tech. That's, you mm -hmm. know, Exile's, Exile's not high tech and Blue's not me, but they're younger than me. But when I heard that album, I'm like, they doing what we were doing. They're just doing their version yeah. of it. Um, and yeah. I didn't look at it like a, as a bite, but more like an evolution. And it's yeah. funny because when I met Blue, you know, Blue is is, is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, yeah. Blue was just, oh, yeah. he's a wild boy. He's a yeah. wild boy. And um, yeah, yeah. when I met him, he came over to my house that I had when I was living in North Hollywood. And yeah. um, we hung out all night and we were playing like Wu-Tang records. And he was asking me about, this was early, this when that record first dropped. He was asking about like 5% uh, the lyrics. Right. He was asking me what certain things meant in the lyrics. And I right. remember it was, it was a moment of clarity for me because I'm like, he's not from where I'm from. Right. So even right. though he appreciates right. the music and even though he's capable of making music to a level that impressed me, he doesn't mm -hmm. have the same cultural influences as, as I do. Um, right. But right. he still wanted to, he was still coming around me to sort of inform himself about where he needed to be lyrically. And I right. think your connection to hip hop, I think makes you an iller lyricist than most R&B cats. I, I know you don't consider yourself as just R&B, but that's where the industry had tried to put you in as an artist. Of course, yeah, 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 to be fair. Thank you, thank you. And, and I mean, Blue is one of those individuals who was ahead of his time. You know, he's so much mm -hmm. so ahead of his time and um, and uniquely talented in, in that he was always able to deliver his emotion but with sort of like the you know you really you could really feel like every lyric all of his lyrics in that especially in that album like that's really blue you know that's really yeah. him that's the that's the guy that I went to school with and we kicked it and like ran around up and down you know to Long Beach and OC and you know when he first signed like just being there and like being a part of like a small crew of guys that just were hungry and loved hip hop and loved music and really were looking at you guys. You know, like you said, mm -hmm. I met High Tech when I was, I think I met High Tech, man, that's crazy, through Zach Katz. You remember Zach Katz? <laughs> I know wow. Zach Katz. Zach Katz yeah. is, uh, I, I still work with Zach Katz to this day on the publishing side. So shout, shout yeah. out to Zach Katz. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Zach, man. Uh, I met High Tech probably like, 14, maybe 14, 15, just before Drop Squad. And mm -hmm. um, and we just, we, 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 we looked up to you, you know, we looked, we, we were inspired by, and he absolutely was inspired by you. But, but like you said, like he was coming from here in LA where, where our knowledge, if you will, um, because we were talking about 5% and, and whatnot, I think mm -hmm. really existed um, or, or could be, could be seen. The energy was more, Ice Cube, you know what I mean? If, mm -hmm. if at all, because at the time in the nineties, right. we were, it was mostly, it wasn't really lyricist or lyric driven. Yeah. It was more emotion driven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ice yeah. Cube is a top tier lyricist, but it comes from a different place. Right. Than, right. Than right. A lot right. of East Coast. A lot yeah. of people forget that Cube really was really that dude. His pen game is strong. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that he was, uh, I think that was one of the things that, Aside from him being just the coolest dude when I went meeting him, that's what really what drew me to him was that not only was he a dude that all of us wanted to be, it was like six, six something. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like literally look up to this dude. Um, but he was super cool, talented, and he had something to say. And he he had a lot of the same. Um, he was inspired by some of the same kinds of musicians that I was. So we 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 linked up and we actually met Anthony Williams, who is to this day one of my best friends, one of our best friends. And um mm -hmm. and he's the one that connected me to Erica Grayson and she introduced me to Drop Squad. So Okay. So yeah. Okay, word up. Now you get compared to a lot of singers. Um 
you know, you mentioned Stevie Wonder, you mentioned Prince. Mm. Um, Marvin Gaye's story is very interesting to me because mm. he was somebody who was very conflicted about growing up in the church and growing up with a preacher, pastor, father, mm. and mm-hmm. then wanting to sing about sex. You know, he has <laughs> songs like Sanctified Lady. And, you know, he, Marvin Gaye sang the word sanctified, very right. sexy, more than right. once. You know, now you're somebody who was raised religious. And yeah. when you started yeah. making music, you made very music that was overtly about sex. Um, right. Do you feel connection with Marvin Gaye? Um, and have you have you found sort of that balance that you seem to be been looking for at the start of your career? You know, actually, I've never, I've never drawn, I've never really considered that part of Marvin's story as any sort of or as any sort of like point of. Um, you know, where I was drawing like, wow, just like Marvin, I am, you know, or right. anything like that. First and foremost, I don't even, I would never even put my, I don't, I don't think of myself in that way. And that's mm-hmm. not why I was inspired. I've, I've always been inspired by his music. It literally was just mm-hmm. by way of his, his emoting, you mm-hmm. know, and like just the power of, of the emotion that came through him. I think as I've gotten, I've, I've gotten able, I've been able to study more of his music, mm-hmm. even still, I'd never considered that there might be that might be something that's more of a subconscious connection to his music and that mm-hmm. is that you know his his connection to a higher power you know I'm uh even though I'm I'm I was raised Christian um fundamentally Christian mm-hmm. um I, I'm not a practicing I don't practice religion at all but mm-hmm. I, I I still it's still in me that I believe in a higher power that I believe in God, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, man, that's actually a really, I'm, I'm actually digesting the question mm-hmm. because I've never considered it. It's actually pretty interesting because you're right. You know, he did sing sanctify and there was that big, you could always feel that he was conflicted. You know, there was mm-hmm. always a conflict. I'm sure that that had a lot to do with those final moments with his father. I know that he always yeah. had contention with his father, and that probably had a lot to do with it. You know, um, it's interesting because yeah, he 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 got he he was killed by his father. Um, he came out his biggest hit of all time is "Sexual Healing," sexual but healing. he he wasn't what the industry considered a young man when he came out with that song. Um, right. So it's like he it's like he had to become a gro- grown ass man. Before he was Talk comfortable enough with the sexuality he was trying to exude. Right. Um, and, you know, he made the beat for Sexual Healing on an 808. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you, you produced. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah that, that, that yeah. came all the way from him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's artists like him who, who really, you know, decided. I mean, obviously, it already, he, he, was a, he was playing, you know. He was playing piano and he was playing mm-hmm. and... Um, he had always been a part of making the music. I mean, mm-hmm. even his his versions of other people's songs. Right. You sense that he had he keyed in on parts that really highlighted and almost brought the songs more to life than the original song. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've had conversations with Salam, and and he's where he's educated me on like, man, you listen to some of the versions of other versions of the songs that Marvin has has covered, and his versions for some reason stand out more and mm-hmm. and him just educating me and you know walking me through um so he's always been a composer but yeah i mean it's it's artists like that that inspire me you know and and right and and made me feel like it's almost like a you know we get to be around all of these incredible incredibly talented people mm-hmm. you know you're gonna pick up you're gonna pick up great things right. from them you know and right and it's only a matter of time if you love this shit that you're gonna start really going for it for yourself. And so, um, so yeah, I would absolutely say that, that um, being a part of the creative process throughout, you know, from the very bottom to the top, now I've become more and more involved in. Now it's, before I felt like it was about being a lone wolf, like you gotta do it yourself. And, and I'm very DIY in that way. I, it's, a, it's a punk mentality that I probably acquired from San Pedro, which is like a mm-hmm. safe haven for punk music in the, ni- in the mm-hmm. late eighties and the early nineties which right. is where I, where I grew up. Um, uh, and it's a, and also because a lot of people were saying no to me. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, if no one else is going to give me a chance, I'm going to do it myself, you know? Yes. And right. part of that has given me, it's created opportunity 
And I held on to it for a long time, but now I'm realizing that wolves travel in packs mm. and it's about community, you know, mm -hmm. that each one takes care of the other. And mm -hmm. so where before I think like during All I Want Is You and discovering my own creative potential in, through Kaleidoscope Dream, and then it's sort of proliferating in Wild Heart, which is the third mm -hmm. album. After that, it's been like, how do I now create a, create a place where I'm, I have a community where I'm helping myself by helping other people, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, ta and, and teaching other ones, other young ones, and also still learning from great ones that, that I have the opportunity to be around and create with. So um, it's been a dope journey. It's a dope journey. It's, yeah, music is is an inter and as as the music business changes, you know, it's it's even more interesting on on how to you know how to to do it sustainably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have had the honor and the pleasure of seeing you work and seeing you mm. create and um and cook cook up these 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 this music. Um, uh, you came to a session that I was having with Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy mm -hmm, a few mm -hmm. years ago. Forgot and it. a lot of a lot of creativity came out of that session. Like yeah. um I put out a record, I had an album called Fuck the Money, and I mm -hmm. put out a song that you and me and Patrick Stump did together called Echoes mm -hmm. on that on that album. Yeah. And then yeah. shout out to Sean C and L V. They produced mm -hmm. a song that I released a single for featuring you, uh, mm -hmm. Come Here. And that mm -hmm. record is one of my most popular records. So thank you for being a part of that. Oh, um man. it's a pleasure. And it's your connection with hip hop. I mean, you've got you've got some incredible hip hop records, brother. You you work with Mac Miller on Weekend, you know, you work with mm -hmm. Wale on one of the greatest, uh, Lotus Flower Bomb is one of the, one of the greatest examples of mashing up hip hop and R&B. Like it doesn't really get much better than that song because that song yeah, feels that. completely hip hop mm -hmm. and it feels completely R&B. It feels completely right. like a Wale record and it feels completely like a Miguel record. It's a, right. it's a perfect, perfect blend, brother. Um, yeah, thank you. But speaking of, you know, and then, you did the record, uh, speaking of Salam Remy, which Salam Remy is an incredible producer. He's had a great impact on you. It seems you've worked with him. And y'all did the record Come Through and Chill, um, which is one of the many records that you have with J. Cole. You yeah. have so many records with J. Cole, might as well be an EP. Like, y'all might as well get together and do a project together. There's something right. special about the chemistry, chemistry you have with Cole. Um, yeah. Before I get into your relationship with Cole, I want to talk about some of the things that Cole is going through. On that song Come Through and Chill... Again, with the hip hop, you reference Jay, Jay Dilla's crushing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I want yep. to crush right now. Oh, Everybody no, exactly. Said. Yeah. yeah. Yes, what made you want to do yeah. that on that song? You know, that's the that's the beauty of music, man. We, mm -hmm. you know, we listen and we're like, as musicians, we're hoarders of things that feel, mm -hmm. that make us feel anything, you know? But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's no secret. I think Dilla is, you know, hip hop royal. He's royal. Not think he's a royalty he's more than that he's a architect i mean it's mm -hmm. through his 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 timing and his swing and his programming that we get like the timberlands and we get yeah. the pharrells and we get the i mean we, we think about an entire era where you know we're talking about tribe we're talking about slum village we're talking about like we're going through yeah, me black star most you, deaf common the roots and all, all of everybody yeah. from dylan like he's a godfather to us yeah, I mean the whole voodoo. I mean, just like it just it's just voodoo, crazy. Yeah. It's just man, it's just it's wild. But yeah, just being inspired and that it just it, that just came out. I was like, right, right. That's, it worked. It worked like, for the song. Yeah, it just came out, and that we, it was like, yep, that's staying. Right, <laughs> felt good. Um, yeah. now Cole Cole makes records about relationships very well, and I think that's why you and him work together because you also make records very well about relationships. Cole also on that song, Come Through and Chill, even though it's about mm -hmm. Come Through and Chill, he's rapping mm -hmm. about kneeling with Kaepernick. He's mm -hmm. he's criticizing Donald Trump on that song. When mm -hmm. I went to Ferguson, I went to Ferguson because J. Cole went to Ferguson and he called mm -hmm. me and asked me for advice. And I'm like, how is he calling me and asking me for advice? And I ain't even there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So just me being kind of his OG, he inspired yeah. me to go do mm -hmm. do more activist work. Um, mm -hmm. with this with the George Floyd protest where he's at in Fayetteville, he's down mm -hmm. there, you know protested with the people. But right. uh, he recently got into hot water because he made a record which people assumed and had, had good reason to assume that he was talking about no name on this record. Mm -hmm. And right. the thing that really, really, the, the critical piece of the record that really got people triggered and upset was he used the phrase tone. He was like, I don't like your tone. 
And for me, the record goes from someone saying, I don't know a lot. I don't, I'm not as smart as you think I am to I'm tone policing and I'm giving you this, I'm, I'm saying, Hey, maybe you could teach me better. Maybe you could do more for me. And, and for, for good reason, that triggers a lot of people, particularly black women. Cause he mentioned that he was talking about a black woman in the song, but by the end of the song, he says, well, you know, maybe I'm fake. Maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I need mm -hmm. to do more self-reflection. So for me, me as an artist, and I find myself mm -hmm. being protective of artists, me as an artist, I'm like, I heard it as a piece of art. Would I have made that record? No, I don't, I don't particularly agree with the premise. I wouldn't have used the word tone, but I really did like the record. And so I woke up, I got myself embroiled in some controversy because I saw people talking about, let's cancel J. Cole over this song, what? right? And I was like, oh no, we can't cancel Cole. And then, 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 then I got pushed back from that because people were like, well, it's not about canceling him. Cancel culture is a myth. J. Cole as a black man, as a man in a patriarchal society, he's not in a position where anybody can actually cancel him. Mm -hmm. It's really about mm. him tone policing black women. And Chance mm -hmm. the Rapper cr criticized him. And No Name, yeah. I'd be, right before I got on the phone with you on this call, I listened to No Name's response. Now, right. for clarity, um, I'm a huge fan of No Name. In the last few mm -hmm. interviews I've done, when they ask me who's my new artist I'm listening to, I say No Name. I sell the mm -hmm. books that she speaks about on her book club at, at my store in Kiru Books. I've, I've, as a hip-hop fan, I was like, I hope she responds to this. And right. I really liked her response. She, right. she, her bar, she had great bars. She addressed bars. the subject efficiently. She did it over a Mad Lib beat. Right. And um, I just like the fact that she really stepped up and owned this moment. And I like the fact that she challenged J. Cole enough to get him to even want to challenge himself to even make a record. I wanted to get mm. your take on it. And I know my spiel was long, but I wanted to give you the context of why I wanted your take. Oh no, we, this is like family conversation. No we, doubt, no this, doubt. We talking. So I have, to be, I have to be completely honest. I actually didn't hear about it till this morning. I, mm. I was okay. like, I've, I've been, I'm in finished album mode. So you know how we get sometimes we gotta mm -hmm. kind of Tell not listen out. to music. Yeah, it's like not listen to music so as not to be swayed in any direction mm -hmm. and, and be as pure to whatever is really inspiring at the time. But um, I I saw it on, I don't remember who, who posted it or, or what it was. I think it was Bun B posted mm -hmm. something about it. Sort of like, listen, you know, this moment, let's not be distracted by mm -hmm. any internal conversations don't let that be a distraction from what the bigger conversation should be. Um, mm -hmm. And let's keep the energy focused on that. Which, I mean, Bumby is leader and an OG. That's the OG. Always, always a great person to, to look to for, for direction. He was and, the first um, People's Party guest. And yeah. Kelsey. Boom. I mean, there it is. Um, and so, um, so I went to No Name first. I went to listen to what she had said because I still wasn't really... Sure, I was like, was it the song that he just dropped? Because I know he just dropped the song on like yes, Friday, I think it was, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I went to her response, or her song, which is only like a minute long. It's like a minute, 20 seconds long. Yeah, yeah, very short. Short, short and sweet, creative, as you would expect, because she's mm -hmm. just dope. And, um, and I kind of got the sense that, oh, he must have said something. And she's saying it in the record. She's like, look, like he chose to talk about this when all mm -hmm. of this is happening, A, B, mm -hmm. and C. So I, I completely understand, you know, from that perspective, I could absolutely understand where she's coming from. What I will say about Cole is one, everybody has to remember that, well, what I will say that I know personally about Cole is that Cole give a fuck about what anyone thinks about him. <laughs> right. Cole, Cole is on a mission to be the best man that he can be, you know? And I think the honesty in his lyrics can be seen in just like like you said. Now, this is me saying I've never listened to the song myself, but mm -hmm. knowing knowing him as a person and getting a sense of what his what really drives him, um, what you said about him going, hey, maybe I him saying maybe I I'm not doing enough, maybe mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, maybe I'm, that sounds like the Cole that I know, and mm -hmm. I think we have to also create space where it's sort of like. It's like your own family, you know. It's mm -hmm. like you could talk shit to your family. You could you could mm -hmm. call them out on all their bullshit. You can say whatever, and 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 that's fine amongst each other. And and when it's between each other, I think that's okay to do. You mm -hmm. know, we we should be able to do that. But when it's time to really take it to to making change or whatever, like we have to protect each other. So, and I don't think that he was trying to to. I just don't see him 
being malicious about it. I think he's wanting to have a conversation. And what better place to do that than through the music, you know? But um, I love J. Cole, and I'm also a black woman. In his defense, he did shout out No Name and say it's all love, and then he did also repost his, her song. But I think that what everyone should just take away from that is the whole part of talking about a black woman's tone, because we mm -hmm. deal with so much in everyday life of being called aggressive or being called an angry black woman that we don't want to have it from our own kings. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I think that that's what everybody should take from the conversation. And I mm -hmm. think that they did handle it correctly because it didn't, it, it could have been escalated, but the people mm -hmm. that did step up and say something, they were just like, hey, we're all on the same page here. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's keep the right path. So it, mm -hmm. I, I, I would never cancel Cole. Cole is like one of the first songs that I, I memorized from cover to cover. I mean, albums I memorized from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. So I, I couldn't cancel him, but I do appreciate him, you know, trying to extend the olive branch while defending his art. I mean, yeah. really, your, your, your opinion is in this, in this, like that it's really women that it, that it matters because obviously it feels like that, that I think is what, what was the most, uh, what sounds like is the most like provoking, like, wait a second, mm -hmm. what you mean? But, you know, and so as long, I hope that, you know, black women, don't feel, you know, don't feel like he, he was targeting him. Cause I, I honestly would say as just a human being, I never get that. I mean, he's married to a beautiful black woman. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's nothing about him that says that he, he's the kind of person that would be, um, undermining, you know, black women at all. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause you know, and, and I think he's also a stand up guy to be like, if he makes a mistake, he's also the kind of guy that's be like, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also admirable. So, yeah, it's good to hear that. Uh, Adorn was a hit for you, but it's also been famous because of your famous uh, leg drop. <laughs> <laughs> I <Yeah>. will say, <laughs> I, everyone's had falls. Beyonce's even had falls. It's fine. Um, I would say that you played it off really smoothly. But uh, are you still... Uh, in touch with the women that were from that video, like if they call, um, they call and ask you for tickets, are you letting them come to your show? If they did, I'm not in contact with them now. Um, the the I think the girl that I mo that was mostly that was injured and affected the most was lives in New Zealand. So mm. and she was in the states visiting. It's a hell of a welcome to to the right. states. <laughs> <laughs> Big boot to the face, man. Man, uh, back of the head, man. I'm, yeah, I, I but, just, um, I just find it interesting. Like, Adorn is such a, such a great record, brother. And um, you won a Grammy for that record, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes the Grammys get it right. Sometimes they align with what the good art is. And um, yeah, that song was so powerful. That song, but at that time, I felt like you, you, I felt like you felt like yo. You know what I'm gonna do when I get on these award shows? I'm a fly. <laughs> like, the song was so big. He was like, I can fly. Uh, I was like, I, yeah. I, I was thinking something. I was thinking something. Whatever I was thinking, it didn't happen the way that I was thinking. Um, right, right. You followed through though. Hey, right. You know, I guess did, I get a, I get an A for effort. <laughs> how did it feel uh, getting memed and gift? Man, at the time, I would definitely say I was. If you know, in retrospect, hindsight hindsight is, has a funny way of, of showing you things. In hindsight, I would have taken the opportunity and turned it into something. You know, I think I was afraid to call, bring attention, to call attention to it. I didn't want it to feel like I was celebrating because I, uh -huh. I genuinely felt bad that I hurt somebody. <laughs> uh, and um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do anything at their expense. You know, and then there was right. all of the legal ramifications. We live in a society where who knows what could have happened. I, mm -hmm. I remember directly after it happened, um, Lil Wayne was like, bruh, you're lucky. He was like, they love you. He was like, because if that would have been me, I'd have been already <laughs> sued. I was like, right. I, hear you. I hear you. But so, I mean, in, in hindsight, I could have taken it and made it a moment because we live in a different world now. But mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed, right, man. Talib, I was, I was hurt. I oh, was man. so hurt. I was like, I had this moment. I'm on this moment. I'm on a ride. Mm -hmm. Like, it's time. It's our time. Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do something that would have been remembered. And I guess mm -hmm. 
it, it's it remembered. is just not it's the way remembered. that I be careful I what you it wish for. Well, listen, yeah. Miguel, I'll make you feel yeah. I'm a, a quick a quick little snippet. I was doing a show in Atlanta that I had bombed twice before, and it was my third time doing it. And I had just killed my set, and I was so excited. And instead of right. using the stairs, I stepped off of the stage and tumbled into just a heap <sighs> of nothingness. And everyone, was, so, how long was the drop? How high was the? How high it was, was the pretty damn high. It was about like this high. Like oh. it was, it was, it was pretty high. I injured myself. Someone had to come and gather me off of the ground and walk me away. So you know, I'm not as big as you, but it happens to everybody. No, that you know, it's it, it's still that feeling of like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you lived through that, man. Like you have, you're you're far more, you're a better man for it, and you're far more experienced. You know what I'm yeah, yeah, um, thicker skin for sure, thicker skin, yeah, and, and much lighter with it. So it's good, right? It worked out. And uh, right, you 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 eyeball things differently, probably distance reason, all that. Oh, oh um, yeah, my, I I definitely uh, I'm not taking any any crazy. I take leaps of faith, but only figurative leaps of ones. Faith. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> Now, before I did this interview, I also watched the video for Get Your Hands Up, which I had never seen yeah. before. <laughs> oh, you go through the moves. <laughs> Yo, you did, you did all types of moves through that video, bro. Like, you was like, you was in that video like, I got the moves. I got all the fresh moves. I was about it. I mean, you know, at the time, again, we're talking about a different, it's like by any, any means necessary. And, mm-hmm. and coming from, from sort of being told no, I finally, mm-hmm. like, it's like shooting my first video. I was like, all mm-hmm. right, well. What do I have to do to compete? It's, it's funny you say that because the video is definitely, and I've heard you, I didn't hear, I read, read you talk about it in interviews. It's a time capsule of what was going on in the music business at the yeah. time. Oh, and I yeah. feel like you um, you speak about, you know, disputing with the label at that time and the whole Black Ice situation. Have you spoken about it? But um, it seemed as if they wanted to make you re- relatable to Black people, huh. to Black urban audiences. Mm-hmm. And... um. It's been interesting watching you discover yourself since that time because you're a completely mm-hmm. different artist since then. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, it's absolutely a snapshot of where I was at and what I was willing to do in, in trying to figure it out. And I think what, mm-hmm. what's, what people have to remember is that it really is just about starting. Mm-hmm. Whatever, it is, whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, the, the the worst thing you could do is is not even try, mm-hmm. and and with the and accept that maybe you're not gonna get it right the first mm-hmm. time, but it's about the persistence. It's about do you really want it? And I guess that's the um, the one thing I can always look back and say is even even in times where I've done things that didn't feel like they were the best represent representation of you know what I believe in, what the kind of, the way that I want to present myself or this and that mm-hmm. or so, you know what have you. What I can say is that I haven't stopped, and right. I, and I'm not gonna stop. You mm-hmm. know, I believe I believe that when you really want something, life puts puts opportunity and challenges in front of you, and it's just your it, it gives you, you you're choosing whether or not you're gonna continue, and that's really all it's about. It's right. about the process, but it's taken a long time to to really get like really grasp that that part of it, mm-hmm. and um. And I love looking back at it and just, you know, just smiling and being like, man, look, look how far you've come. You know, you've come, yeah. you've come a long way. You've learned a lot. And you're just going to you just got to keep pushing. So that's what it's no about. No doubt. Um, now, Wild Heart, I love this album. You also won a Grammy right. for this album. Um, right. I feel like this that album might be one of the most clear, clear versions of who you are as an artist. Where, where does that album sit for you? That album is by far like core Miguel fans favorite you know mm. I think unanimously I can see and that also yeah it's like a that's like my my real fans favorite album mm-hmm. um and it's it was that was a learning experience too man that album I was um it's a really it's a it's a punk album yeah in the attitude mm-hmm. not necessarily in the sonic but it's just I really just gave no fucks, you know, and it just was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make music on my terms. I mean, even the mixes as I go back and listen to it. I was talking to Salam more recently. He was like, yeah, you overmixed that album. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I did. But, uh, but, um, but even still, part of that I, I love, I love about it. 
because I just mm. was, I was just like, I wasn't looking at what the standard was. You know, I was just like, this is what you were my looking standard inward. Is. Yeah. 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 And somehow I guess all of that comes through. So there's, um, I think there's shining moments on that album that will resonate with fans of me. And if anyone wasn't sure of the kind of artist that I am and sort of the chances and, and, and energy that drives me and the things that I'm willing to do, I think that's, that's probably a, a strong place to start, you know? Yeah. Um, so thanks, bro. I appreciate you. Appreciate you saying that about that. Uh, of course. Um, you produce, you play guitar, you, you sing, you dance, you fly through the sky. You also <laughs> act. All right. You also act. Um, and um, I am, um, I'm a fan of uh, of Ben Affleck as a director and as a filmmaker. I feel like he's grown into mm -hmm. one of the best in mm -hmm. the business working. You know, he 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 gives him he does one for one for them and one for himself. He gives us some Batman right. and then he gives right. us some Live, Live by Night. Now, this movie Live by Night when you were in it, I didn't I didn't know that you were in it. I put it on just because I'm like Ben Affleck about some Irish gangsters from Boston, right. Florida. Right. I'm watching that, right? Right. Right. And I was I was I wasn't shocked, but I was impressed and surprised by the scope of the film. I was impressed by the the the, the deal the way he dealt with race relations, the way he mm -hmm. dealt with the KKK in the film, mm -hmm. and the way he dealt with what was going on with Cubans in Florida mm -hmm. at that time. Right. And you right. play like a Cuban gangster in that movie. Tell us about working with Ben Affleck on that film. Man, that was a uh, it was a such a dope like couldn't be a better first experience an introduction mm -hmm. to filmmaking with a better cast and like warm you know warm group of people who are who were you know just looking out and and wanting to make the best film he's the honestly the the most kind dude you know he's he's, the, mm -hmm. he's super kind and also very sure about what he wanted to create and to make mm -hmm. and um Man, I think stylistically, the scope of the film, it just, it, it's dope. I, I, um, it was, it was just fun to make, man. It was fun mm. to be a part of. And, and, and sort of the conversation that's relevant even now is that, is that there's a lot of history that needs to be told about yeah. just all of the brown people in this country. You know, a lot of yeah. people forget that really it like, Wealth in this country literally was created on the backs of black and brown people. Amen. Exploited br black and brown people. The great thing about this film, um, however, is that the the brown people in this film are successful. Mm -hmm. They come from Cuba, and this is these this, these are like you know based on there were real. Yeah, this wasn't just in this, this story wasn't completely fictional. It was based in reality. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a foot in reality, so there you know. There were wealthy people from Cuba who were putting their people on, who were who were successful and finding a way to, to be successful in the t in the 1920s during Prohibition, and this story mm -hmm. is, takes takes place in that in that time, and it was dope. I played um, Esteban, which was a Cuban nationalist who who had come to the states. To, he had fleed from Cuba for an unknown reason, um, mm -hmm. and he basically, with his knowledge of molasses. It was importing molasses from Cuba, and um, and had built a successful business. and And his interaction with Ben Affleck's character is essentially Ben Affleck is representing another mobster in the film, uh, another mobster's organization, and they basically, you know, come to an agreement where they're going to do business with them because to make uh, what is it? They're making rum. Mm -hmm. They need to. They need the molasses to make the rum. And so Esteban's character, who's running the company, who's bringing molasses from Cuba, along with his sister, who becomes the love interest of Ben Affleck's, uh, right, right. Um, he, they do business and they become good friends. And in the film, um, yeah, he kind of, my character and along with Zoe's character, introduce him to sort of Cuban life and they fall mm -hmm. in love and, um, and so on and so forth. But it was dope, man. It was dope because, mm -hmm. you know, you got to do all the period, all the clothes. and Were y'all in Florida? We uh, we shot, we shot that's like, most of the... Ybor City, is that, was, was that, was that that's near? Orlando. Like, a lot of that, a lot of that looks still like it did back then, right? Yeah, that port city, yeah, Ybor. Yeah. We actually filmed the exterior stuff in the boats in Atlanta, actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and Tyler and Perry Studio. <laughs> man, man, I wish, I wish he, it wasn't there yet. Um, right, right, right. Somewhere. It was out somewhere. <laughs> big shout out to him too. He got his own man. He got his own studio. Yeah, that's 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 mm-hmm. that's big. Um, as an as an actor, um, you're also in Detroit. You know, it was great as well. Um, do you feel as connected to acting as you do to the music? I do now. Uh, no, I, I'll take that back. I have more aspiration to express myself in that medium now than ever before. But okay, I'll always. I think. I think music. I've always, it'll always, there'll, there'll always be a special thing with me in music, you know? Now it's just, I just see all this opportunity to express myself and why limit it to just music? So mm-hmm. yes. film is, film is just such a amazing story, storytelling device. And that's what we are, you know, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what we do. And we, we love mm-hmm. stories and we invest our time and energy in stories and, I want to be the kind of storyteller that, you know, inspires people the way that, you know, all the talented people that I've been able to learn about and read about and and witness them execute. I want to be one of those kind of storytellers all the way through. So whether it be music, if it's film, if it's through, through fashion, if it's through technology, I think all of this is an opportunity to tell, you know, stories. And, and that's what I'm about. Word up. Word up. Uh, you toured with my girl, Sia. Who I love, especially her dancer Maddie. Uh, are you are you gonna share with us how she looks like, or did you did you by being on tour with her leave with an understanding of why privacy is so important to her? Oh, what you trying to say? What you trying to say? Um, Nasia, uh, that's easily Googleable. Um, she's the sweetest man. She was real sweet on tour. Um, I'm pretty sure she's Canadian. Feel like she's Canadian because when we went to Montreal, Montreal, uh, they it was like her hometown. Like they went crazy for her in Montreal. So I think she's from Montreal and she's Canadian. But um, super sweet. I think she just always she appreciates, she values her privacy, and you know that layer, the layer of privacy sort of serves a dual purpose, and that was like the mystery, which worked out for her, I think, and and um, allowed the music to take a front seat. And also it gave a, a space, like you said, for Maddie to, to sort of be the, the, the representation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's, she's the ghost face super, killer of pop music. For real though, straight up. <laughs> you know, she's the mask, you know? Right. Yeah, with no body doubles or... Uh... <laughs> right. right. <laughs> what is it called? What does he have? Uh... Are you talking about Doom? Yo, I'm thinking of Doom. What am I thinking? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you, you thinking about Doom when he has, he has, he has the imposter? Yeah, he has exactly. The imposter. I mean, Pull Doom is shelf. MF Doom is he's he's the super villain, um, right. and so he really he's like he explained it to me once. He said, "Um, I said, how come you don't show up for the show sometimes? Isn't that don't the fans? He's like, Quali, I'm the villain." Mm. I said, "Say no more. I get clear. it. <laughs> he's clear. He's like clear. Yeah. He's always been clear. Right. I'm Man. the villain. I'm not here to. I'm yeah. I'm the villain. Um, so sick. I want to talk about your your activism a little bit. You've been very vocal." speaking out against schools to prison pipelines. And I feel like that's very important. That's one of the biggest problems facing particularly black and brown people. So I thank you for it. Um, you headlined the Revolve, uh, Revolve Impact School Not Prison Tour. Um, mm. What made you want to focus on the school to prison pipeline? And how do you feel about the conversations around defunding the police and uh, investing more in education that are happening around these uprisings? Man, uh it's really unfortunate, you know, growing up here in LA, it's clear when you see a, a, a school in a urban, quote unquote, urban community, what that looks like versus a school that's in a, I guess, more affluent community. Um, and you start to realize that it's, it's, it's this, it's a subconscious, it's almost a subconscious warfare, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you build a system where mostly predominantly you know, ethnic people, black kids, Mexican kids are put in detention and it's a, it's, it's, mm-hmm. then they get put into a juvenile school, you know, a school for juveniles and they go to juvenile hall mm-hmm. and then that be, you're just, you are grooming them, you're grooming children to be in the system, which now that we, we know by way of, you know, awesome documentaries like 13, you know, mm-hmm. Ava government did, did, you know, an amazing job at explaining sort of the, 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 the real lucrative business of 
of the jail system here in the States and that it, it mm -hmm. really translates into slave labor, labor that removes all the rights of actual citizens here in, in, in the country. So right. we're, we're grooming kids to be a part of slavery. You know, it's, it's slavery, but dressed up as something else That's and, right. and, and to be institutionalized. So it's a big, it's a major part. It's a major thread in the narrative of systemic oppression. And um, yeah, I was just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just crazy. I'm, here's another thing that I've been learning over time is that I actually have a, a opportunity to talk about these things and there's people who listen to me. Um, and even if it's just one person that I get to share some information that they didn't, they didn't know about before that maybe informs their decisions on how to change things in their immediate surroundings. Uh, I just, yeah. I just don't think, uh, that's something that I should take it, you know, take for granted. So I, I try my best to, you know, offer my voice. Um, I think you do a fantastic job and you, you speak to something that a lot of people are going through. I mean, you have this song, I found you, um, you know, you, um, you participate in pro-immigration uh, activism, um, mm -hmm. which I think is applaudable. Um, For DACA, yeah. I've had a very public troubles with certain right-wing factions in black communities. There's a, there's <laughs> group, a group out, the groups out there. Uh, I'm not, they're, they're, they're sort of dying down, so I'm not going to give their, their name any oxygen here. Yeah. But, the, but even though the name of one particular group might be dying down, the idea that we have to be nativist and we have to build a wall and we have to shut out the immigrants. Uh, and it's not just, it's not just MAGA right wing people. It's people from black communities. You are a black person who's also a Mexican person. You, you have a unique experience um, with the, it's in and in and about the, uh, the immigration conversation. Um, what, what do you feel like your perspective adds to the conversation being that you could say, I have this Mexican heritage and I have this African American heritage. Well, the, the real the real issue to me really lies in this survival over purpose. It's really rooted in survival over purpose. And unfortunately, a capitalist system that we live in, the capitalist system that we live in, uh, the structure, it doesn't really make it easy to make decisions based on purpose. And that's really what the real pressure comes from. That's why people, I mean, there's there's thousands of people who support you know, the current president, not because they believe in his perspective or, or the things that he says, but because mm -hmm. of what it means for them in their survival, in their monetary and economic position. So, right. so, you know, that all is really reinforced by the constructs of what all of our society is built on, and that is capitalism. Um, mm -hmm. I happen to have the, the, you know, I've, I've, I'm fortunate that I've been able to have the kind of support system that has a, that allowed allowed me and afforded me the the mental sort of fortitude it requires to be be persistent in achieving my purpose. Mm -hmm. But not everybody has that, you know, and that's what really that's where the real the real conflict the conflict is. It's like people who are fighting to survive versus people who are mm -hmm. fighting to to achieve a purpose and right. the struggle of all of that means that there's all these people who become disenfranchised you know and mm -hmm. that are that that sort of get made the made villainized because they're just trying mm -hmm. to do what's best and trying to survive and and i think that that's you know again i can understand i can look at both sides of any argument and go i see i see the why but but I guess my my perspective is the real thing is we're we're teaching people to make decisions based on surviving to right. make ends meet. You know, it's like that's not right, that's not right, right. that's not like to survive. Like that's not what life is about. No, life right. is life about is living. Thriving. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Life mm -hmm. is about living and and wealth of experience of relationship of love mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things, that's like true, that's the fulfilling shit that we need. And, you know, a lot of a lot of these policies and trying to to kick people out and, and you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like all this is like, 
you're you're it's rooted in in a, a me attitude it's all about mm-hmm. me and mine and mm-hmm. no one else you know no one else can have when it when in all actuality you know everyone can there's room for everyone but if we shift yeah. that we just have to shift the yeah. focus so, the top one percent are taking up all the all the resource, the majority of the resources. There's enough to go around for everybody. And, and this pandemic has proven that because where are we even getting all this money to put people in better predicaments? And even with the six hundred dollar extra for the unemployment, people are seeing more money than they've ever seen before. Because I sound like Trump, ill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like they could have been helping people a long time ago. I don't know why yeah, it took but- coronavirus for all this money to appear out of thin air. It's crazy. Um, when did we you... We could go down uh, the rabbit hole. <laughs> right. We really could. Yeah. I'm, I'm just sorry, trying to get that taste of Trump out of my mouth. I need to stop looking at his tweets. Take 45 to 10. 45. Ugh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you... Like, no choice given the state of the world? Now, War and Leisure was, uh, it sort of evolved in, in, into trying to say, it was, it's me processing my emotion and coming to terms with my, the opportunity and the platform that I have to call attention to things that I feel affect the world around me. And straight up, I've never been the kind of person who really believed in our political system. Um, mm-hmm. I've always... I've been taught to be skeptical about it from com- from two completely different for two completely different reasons. One, religious reasons, that you know, mm-hmm. teaching me that God really is the ultimate answer, and that no no sustainable solutions to our real problems can come from man. And then on the other hand, my father, who's just always questioned the government and and looked at it skeptically, and always taught me that there's a veil by which the real powers that be are operating from, and all we see is smoke mm-hmm. and mirrors. Um, and I've had to sort of tune both of that out and go, okay, well, I got to figure out where I exist. And as I'm getting older, you know, I'm realizing that I want to, you know, I'm married now. I want to have children. What kind of world am I bringing my children? Would I be bringing mm-hmm. my children into? And mm-hmm. Warren Leisure is sort of the the me me sort of growing up a bit and trying to figure out how do I like where do I stand where 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 am i at with it what does mm-hmm. matter to me so um i look at that album as like a growing it's like a grow it's like a it's like that it's like growing up it's a growing up moment mm. for me um yeah and and there's still it's still really to me it seems very vague but i can hear that i'm trying to i'm trying to process what's going on and and what really matters you know but mm. what like you said jasmine like the, truth be told, our entire economy is on paper. Like it's not backed by gold. It's owned by private mm-hmm. corporations, which means that they control, you know, the value of the dollar, inflate things like this inf- inflation. The actual debt of the country is owned by China. So I mean, like, there's all of this like private interest going that's being that's affecting government and the way that our government works with lobbying and so on and so. Forth, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of layers. But I think it's important to use moments that we have like now where we have people's attention and it's at the forefront of their mind and go, okay, we can't let go of that momentum. How can Mm -hmm. we actually create change? And I honestly believe that that starts right in the community. It starts on a one, you know, with on a personal basis to go, I'm not going to not pay attention. I'm going to look into what these laws that are being passed mean, look at what these bills that are being passed mean, see who supports my views in my community and mm-hmm. back the people that we believe best represent what we want to ch- want, what we want to see changed or kept uh, or upheld. Did you grow up speaking Spanish? A little bit, a little bit. You, you know, know I, I, I was, my Nana was on my father's side. She was, she mm-hmm. was definitely making sure we spoke Spanish. So up until about 12 or 13, I was, Speaking speaking Spanish pretty fluently. You made the Spanish EP. I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Te lo dije? Is that te lo dije? Te lo dije? Yeah. Te lo dije. Te lo dije. Why was the time right for for, for, for you to make that album? That yeah, EP, that, rather. 
Yeah, that so that's a like a collection of like a handful of songs from War and Leisure that we we mm-hmm. did in oh, okay. Spanish. Okay. And that and um the conversation about immigration, Trump mm-hmm. was just coming into office. Um we were seeing a major discrepancy between um the popular vote and electoral vote. Mm-hmm. Um and there was all of this, you know, it was we it was disheartening. And te lo dije means I told you so, which was not in a ta- it wasn't meant to be in a taunting way. It's just that in a in a, a song on the album is called I told you so, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a convergence of again all of my religious influence and then all mm-hmm. of my my father's sort of skeptic skepticism for uh, for the political system here in the states and mm-hmm. and for the world and you know to be to be completely honest. So yeah, okay. it's sort of a mixing of those two those two. So um, on Hustle and Flow, you did uh, a collab performance with D Smoke, and um, he also he raps in fluent Spanish. Are you guys gonna have any collabs later on? We talked about man, I love that dude. First of all, what a great guy, D Smoke. Man, what a great dude. Great dude. Him and his brother, Sir, is Mm -hmm. a dope dude too. What a what a great family. Yeah, yeah. And the crazy thing is, we were all on tour together. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, I took Sir and my brother on tour, and D Smoke was playing keys for for um, Sir. So that's how we all mm. that's my, that's how I met them. So it was dope that after that he was doing Hustle and Flow, and we had this opportunity to do that song. And now it's just really about finding the right song to do something with. He mm-hmm. knows that you know it's, mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for him. I'm supporting him a thousand percent, a thousand percent. Yeah, man, he's such a great artist. Um, we we really enjoyed having him a guest on People's Party. Mm-hmm. Um, great episode, very inspirational episode. My mother, who's yeah. an educator, called me. He was like, "I like that guy. He's like, oh, you know, my, he made my mother like him." Um, <laughs> so let's get let's get back into that meditation because uh, I I said transcendental meditation earlier. You corrected me. So give okay. me the give me the meditation bars. Yeah, uh, meditation has just been more than anything. Um, a, a really helpful tool to deal with like any negative baggage mm-hmm. and you know any anxiety any things that could pull me into um any sort of depressive state because I've dealt with that and um it's just been something that I've I've really go to on a regular basis now just to maintain my own just yeah, just to maintain my own spirit, you know, to maintain mm-hmm. my perspective. Because with everything going on, it's on top of the fact that we have generational traumas, mm-hmm. you know, everybody. And and this is not to say, this is to say everyone, black, mm-hmm. white, wherever you come from, you are carrying some baggage subconsciously from your family, you know, mm-hmm. from your surroundings, from your community, from your, and these are things that, Eventually, if you don't come to terms with and and realize that it's not you necessarily, it's just more habits. Again, you know, excellence is not an act, but a habit. Mm-hmm. We're all just a collection of habits, you know, and how we think, what we think of ourselves. It's just as, it's as easy as, you know, you know exactly how you're going to get home when you're in your city. When you go mm-hmm. to your favorite restaurant, you know exactly, like... By heart, you don't need Google Maps. You might check Google Maps now just for traffic, but right. you don't need directions. You know exactly how right. to get there. You know, I'm gonna I'm go this street, blah, blah, blah. You know exactly. And we we think that way. Our mind works the same way. If you tend to think negatively about certain things, well, you most likely will continue to do that unless you consciously make an effort to change the habit. And meditation has really just helped me to, to see and observe like, oh, that's not even me. That's this person in my life. Oh, that's mm. not even me. That's mm. that experience in my life. Oh, that's not even me. That's the community mm. I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I can remove myself from any negative, you know, or or mm-hmm. things that just kind of weigh you down and just be be the best. Yeah. Just help me be, be solid, you know? That was deep. Uh, <laughs> message <laughs> message this uh, not so much uh can you tell us uh your connection to keep it shuffle man that's that's such a 
That's so many lives. That's, that's, that's lives ago. That's so crazy. Um, I wrote a song for Cupid. He's an artist from New Orleans. And okay. he had a big song called The Cupid Shuffle. And this is a, at a very different time in music and, and music business and, and black music and in the music industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I was primarily writing for other people at the time. And and not not successfully, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. say that. I was not successfully writing for a lot of people, but I was attempting to write. And um, this was actually one of my first placements, like official placements, mm -hmm. was on Cupid's album. And they- Was, was the Cupid Shuffle the song out already? When you wrote Cupid Shuffle song? was the song that was already blowing up and they needed like other songs that kind of went with it and uh There's like, oh that worked. We need we need mm -hmm. songwriters. We need more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And uh I wrote one, it was dope. I can't remember how it Was it a dance song? It was kind of a dance song. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I can We I can need to have a barbecue and then he'll remember. That's For right. real. That's, that's, that's... I mean that's it, it was it was a dope song though. I just Man, I've written so many songs, man. <laughs> we need some barbecue chicken to ignite our memory. Little right. little side note, little, funny little, little funny chickens. moment. My, like <laughs> little tiny chickens. Quest, Quest got on me for forgiving my for forgetting my own song on stage. Oh God! I never forget it. So like I'm liable to forget that. my own lyrics. I'm definitely gonna forget other stuff. That <laughs> on drugs, yeah, Quest, I have. Oh, sorry. Quest, <laughs> Quest Love once told me that, that Black Thought can keep 20 songs in his mind at a time. So he's like, about 20. He's like, if you ask him to do 21, he's going to have to freestyle or something. Like, right, right. And um, he'll do it without you even noticing, too. Right, you won't even notice. He won't even skip a beat. Yeah, now, yeah. As, a, as a songwriter, um, I, I'm a huge fan of you. Again, I, I, I spoke about this earlier in, in the show. I'm a huge fan of your bars, your lyrics. As a songwriter, I've heard you give a lot of praise to Hotel California, which I also feel like is a very oh. well-written song. Tell me about your love for that song. Man, Hotel California, what a, what a picture. I mean, I would have to say it's one of the greatest songs of all time, you know, mm -hmm. um, because it's telling, it's telling, again, we're talking about storytellers earlier, mm -hmm. telling a story, um, but it's also... It's sort of a, it's a reveal. It's like a movie where you don't really know what's going on until the very mm. end. And then it all dawns on you like, oh, we've been in hell this whole time, you know? Mm. And, and as, as the song progresses, it's just like melodically, lyrically, the storytelling is just crazy. And the story of it, the, the, the dynamic of the song, mm. when it gets into the, you know, into the solo, you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go yeah. back. I don't want to be here. But you do, yeah, so you play it over and over again, you know? Mm -hmm. Great, no great. That's what great music makes you do. No doubt. Well, you make great music, and your music has a lot of moods, a lot of colors, and a lot of vibes, and I want to thank you for your contribution to this jam, this collective jam that we call this human experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the People's Point.